Hey everybody, and welcome to another new episode of Time Extend. As always, my name is Adam Ismail, I'm one of your hosts, and I am joined today with... Brendan Norrison, and today we have a treat for you. It won't just be one topic we're looking at, but two. Starting with uh, the brand new port of Virtua Racing by M2. Don't know about you, Adam, but I've been excited about this discussion for a while. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. Um, So, Virtua Racing came out... Uh, in Japan about the time we're doing this podcast two weeks ago and still hasn't come out in the rest of the world yet but um, we were just so excited for M2's rendition of Virtual Racing on the Switch that we had to go grab it from the Japanese eShop so we've done that and a lot of people have done that actually I've seen online and we're really happy to talk about it but that's not all we're talking about right? No exactly Um, since it's been a while since we've done a traditional podcast we thought we'd treat everyone as well to um, the continuation of our unreleased racers section, so we're, we're excited to get into that as well. Yeah, so we, we've had a couple really amazing podcasts and really amazing guests over the last however many episodes, um, from Paul last episode to Jordan and Andrew, uh, and it has it has been a while since we've just kind of done just like a chill, just relaxed show. It's not quite free practice, but it's the same kind of vibe, just us chilling and talking and trying to be as interesting as those guests we've had on recently <laughs> yeah it, it'll be tough to do though because uh, they were awesome but yeah i think virtual racing is a good place to start so um we'll just get into that and you know virtual racing is on the switch m2 did an amazing job like we expected them to um you can go to the japanese eShop and download this game uh, if you live outside japan which i imagine you probably do if you're listening to this podcast and um it's like I can get my credit card to work, so I just ended up buying a card off of uh, Play Asia and using that, and that was really easy. Uh, as long as you're paying, you know, as long as you're okay with paying like that Play Asia tax, which like isn't really that much. Yeah. But um, yeah, I it's the best port of the virtual racing. I think it's safe to say that we have now. Um, Digital Foundry just did an amazing series, uh, a video on it, like a half hour long video comparing this to all the other versions and. If there's any doubt in your mind, like, no, this the, the, it's the real deal, you know, it's the best port, M2 did great work, they always do, and now I'm just sucked into just trying to get the fastest times, and oh, trying, yeah. to, trying to beat you, <laughs> Bren, but I don't think, <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. That's pretty much because I've been no life in Bay Bridge, though, to be fair, like, I just, the, the flow of that track, and I'm sure it's something we'll talk about later on, like, I just, I absolutely love driving that track out of the three that are included. Um, yeah, to, to dial back about general feelings about the game, I am stunned by how much I'm actually enjoying it because I, I've always kind of maybe dabbled in Virtua Racing. I've never been a huge fan so much as I've played it a lot because when I was growing up, it was more the kind of the, the next model, essentially. So you're looking at Daytona and Sega Rally. Like, that was my kind of games growing up. So... It almost feels like the, to quote that Sonic movie trailer, <laughs> the genesis of um, oh, God. arcade racing games uh, is where you're seeing the kind of the formative stages of what would become Daytona and Sega Rally, and but it doesn't mean for a second it's any less addictive because, oh man, M2 have nailed the handling engine here. The car just has that amount of give that Sega racers are known for whenever you're going round corners and stuff that just makes it so addicting to shave off those milliseconds. 
I was wondering how you were going to get on with virtual racing because it was new for you, and you know you're obviously like huge fan of Sega Rally and other Sega racers, but VR is the first. And I don't know. I guess I guess because for me, I always felt like it was the one that was like more rough around the edges. It was their first try. I didn't really enjoy the game until playing it uh, with this release. To be perfectly honest. Yeah, and that, I think that from somebody who like like you said wasn't big on it in the first place. It's got to be that shift to 60 frames per second and the slight tweaks they've made because when I was watching Digital Foundry's fantastic video on it, like the other games looked great, especially the PS2 one visually, but the kind of the, the 30 frames or even 15 frames per second versions, like I imagine they're playable, but I don't think they'd be anywhere near as enjoyable or smooth as this Switch release. Yeah, it, I, I've so I've actually played all those versions, uh, except for the one version that got poured to a sharp mobile phone in Japan, which I didn't even know was a thing. <laughs> and, and I've had a weird relationship with virtual racing over the years, because I, I think because yeah, I've played those versions. They've a lot of them were pretty poor approximations of the arcade game, that kind of just left me with a bad taste in my mouth. So I didn't really know how good this game could be. Um, and it was a combination of that, and I think I want to talk about the air versions a little bit later in this discussion, but um, I had this crazy epiphany when I was playing this game, where I realized, like, I have no idea, or over the years have had zero idea how to play virtual racing, and I was doing it all wrong. And the only way I was able to find this out was by watching some of the you know, the top times, the fastest times in the world, which luckily enough you can do in this game. Uh, you look at the leaderboard and every single time on the leaderboard has a replay attached to it that's also uploaded, which is amazing. Uh, and just watching other people with their runs, um, it just kind of like opened my eyes to like, no, this is the way you're supposed to use a handling model in the game to your advantage. I was doing it all wrong. I was playing it... You know, I was on the gas and brake all the time, like I was playing any other racing game. But virtual racing is very—it's very old and it's very different. And it—it it, it doesn't <laughs> yeah. even—it's not even anything like, um, like Sega Rally or Daytona. It's totally its own thing. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. When I, when I first started playing it, um, I was able to put in decent times, but I did feel as if something was up. And then. After seeing some replays myself, I realised it's because, like you're saying, we've almost become hard-coded to even expect arcade racers now um, to, to have some degree of realism when it comes to the gas and the brake. But in reality, this is the type of game where it's all about getting on that throttle, coming off that throttle, coming on that throttle yeah. and kind of managing the handling as opposed to kind of keen braking and that type of thing. And once you get in the flow, it's incredible. Because when, when I started playing at first, not understanding the handling model, I was really curious how in Bay Bridge, how the hell are you supposed to tackle those like consecutive S-bends into hairpins? Oh, yeah. Because I was losing so much speed and I knew something was wrong. But then when it clicks and you know exactly how you're supposed to drive the car, oh my god, that feels incredible. Like that's, I would go as far to say Bay Bridge is probably one of my favourite tracks in the old Sega racers, like arcade-wise, because it's just it's such a it's such a fun track to drive. I I really enjoy it. That's really that's really high praise. Um, yet for me, it was realizing that you know I was supposed to use the brake as just try to avoid the brake as much as possible in this game you know it's all throttle control it's 
it's all about your line and and not just the brake but also um the steering input so i was using normal mode for a while and normal like in retrospect now that i know how to play the game the fact that they included a different mode bothers me a little bit only because like i think normal makes it easier to play the game if you're not accustomed to playing it properly like i was or like you know many yeah. people i'm sure are but it doesn't it's it's not the best way to play if you want to go fast i think i feel like it's probably impossible because essentially what normal does is you know you're say you're 30 40 percent input steering uh in arcade which would get you a slight degree of you know lateral movement in normal it just goes full lock like you completely lose that like middle ground uh where turning the wheel a little bit gives you a little bit of a result in normal it just i feel like it accelerates your inputs just so that people can get going left or right very quickly which isn't the way you want to play because you actually you actually in virtual racing i feel like have the most amount of grip when you're about 60 to 70 percent of full lock anything yeah past that and you just start skidding into a drift where you're not cutting the corner any more tightly you're just kind of fading off into nowhere's land yeah definitely and it's learning that kind of biting point almost between what you can get the car to do and what it's not capable of doing because even now i've put a few hours into the game but I still feel as if sometimes when I'm trying to learn how much the car can drift, because you're so eager to shave off those last few seconds, it's so easy to push it a little bit too far and end up spinning out. Yeah, especially Bay Bridge, that corner, um, after all the S's where you kind of take that little off-ramp and it's the it's a right-hander, that corner, it's like the, almost a nine, like a 90-degree right-hander. That corner is so difficult, especially because if you don't get the correct line, you just bite the grass a little bit on the exit in the median. And if you do that, like, I spin every single time. Yeah, definitely. It's That kind of brings me on to another uh, mechanic of the game, you could say, where when you do kind of slightly tap the grass, your car can lose speed. So that can almost act as a replacement for braking. <laughs> so if you can like, yes, if you can hit yeah. the right points of each turn, whenever you do need to slow down, you can effectively get the game to do it for you if you yeah. kind of guide the car in the right direction. And it's that type of ingenuity that um, Sega arcade racers were known for. Like it's the same in Sega Rally almost, where there's so many corners in that game where you can avoid braking by getting the rear of the car to hit the the wall at the exact right angle and then that your car just bounces perfectly off of it and you maintain your speed and that was one of the things like when i was playing sega rally 95 way way back that i learned to perfect almost because you can eliminate a lot of the requirement for braking and when you compare and when sorry when you combo that with using the stratos you can set like ridiculous times so like i think in virtual racing you can definitely see uh maybe an almost slightly primitive version of that but it definitely keeps it interesting it's not a case of there's only three tracks here and once you play them you say well that was a nice trip down memory lane which a lot of people could argue some of these ages releases are like i i've also picked up gain ground recently which mm -hmm. i personally think is a great little game almost to kind of set the seeds for like diablo and but the thing is it's, it's it's very primitive because at the time it seemed obviously a bit complex but nowadays there's games similar that do it a lot better but Virtua Racing has that required element for Sega arcade racers where it's like oh I've got to shave that time off 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And like once I was more careful with my steering and um, very sparing with my braking, instantly I was two seconds faster a lap. Instantly. Like once I started going through Bay Bridge and realized like, oh, I can take the first corner flat out if I if I turn the car like this. And um, once I started realizing that the only corner I really have to brake on at that track if I need to is the last one, that changed everything i mean i was so much faster and it, it it felt so good and um i think i've probably hit a wall now uh in terms of how fast i could go <laughs> yeah. but um it's still you know it's still fun to play uh do you have a pro controller by chance i do indeed yeah but i've actually um this is actually a bit of a confession i've only played the game in handheld so far like all of my time so far has been spent kind of playing it on handheld mode so i've not even seen its beauty on tv yet <laughs> well well here's what i'll say um i usually don't play my switch docked but with this game i felt like i want to because i wanted to see virtual racing in you know in hd 60 frames on the big screen and it'll, you know of course great. yeah but if you have gone as fast as you've gone just by playing in handheld mode with the Joy-Con stick, oh my god! If you use your Pro Controller, you'll be faster. I have I have zero doubt. Really? Oh yeah, because because the Joy Cons like I don't know about you, but like and they're they're good analog sticks. You know they're fine, but the whole the they're very small. The buttons are very small. The sticks are small. Like I, I don't know. I I find it way easier to be comfortable playing game with the Pro Controller. I mean, that sets up an interesting point, actually, because would you believe so far I play with the D-pad primarily when I play this game? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so I'm proper bringing it back. <laughs> um, wow. uh, the, it just feels like, I don't know, a lot of those, like, not that era of racing games, but like maybe that decade, you could say. I just always felt as if the digital inputs are a bit more exact because the no, way arcade racing games work. Like, yeah. the, the, the analog stick is a necessity for games that are emulating how a real car would act. But I just mm-hmm. I, I I find it easier to work out the kind of car behaviour from using the D pad, and maybe that comes from playing way too much Wipeout back in the day or whatever. But like I just enjoy using the D pad. Have you used the D pad at all for the game, or has it pretty much been no, just the analog stick? I have Ooh. I have not used the D pad at all. Well, I mean the way I see it is like a lot of old racing games obviously use the D pad because that's all that was available. But I feel like coming from the arcade steering yeah, wheel yeah. steering wheel handling usually translates pretty decently to analog six i find except in like the weirdest scenarios like if i tried to emulate uh lama 24 once on the model three board and that game is abysmal to play with the controller but um <laughs> but yeah anytime i played daytona 2 or scud race or something like that on my computer um i find that the analog uh control works pretty well so yeah but i'll give that a shot though i mean that also makes it even more amazing to me that you're getting these times because like the switch d-pad is not really a d-pad it's like a d-pad <laughs> <laughs> it's just four so, buttons <laughs> yeah um th- that's interesting then so i might actually try with the, the analog stick because i imagine all the the japanese speed aliens have knocked my time down quite a few chunks but i was pushing that top 20 spot at one point ah, fantastic so yeah. um yeah i'll be sure to try that out then but the thing is just as a kind of sidebar almost what you've just said about how the controller translates to arcade boards in terms of like handling for games like scud race and that type of thing mm-hmm. um 
it raises an interesting point about why these ports are important because I too emulate like Sega Rally and stuff on my PC and while they're good and playable you just know in the back of your head like there, there's a slight difference to the way the car handles because it wasn't obviously built for using a controller yeah. so that's why we should really be happy when M2 are creating ports of these types of games because we know the wizardry they can do with the Mega Drive and Genesis stuff like they, they, they've got a great portfolio of that now but seeing Virtua Racing gives me hope that, I mean, Daytona, surely, easily enough, there's not many licenses to navigate there. Uh, Sega Rally, maybe a p- potential, I mean, it's not many licenses, I think we've discussed that before. So, like, there, there's definitely, there's scope for them to spread their wings a bit and get involved in these games, and while they might not include as many Easter eggs as some of the Genesis and Mega Drive stuff, there's still room for that M2 flair and maybe some original um, songs. Of which, in Virtua Racing, there's a nice remix. <laughs> it has a remix of the replay song from uh, Virtua Racing Deluxe, which was a 32x game, and it's so good. I mean, in the in the classical M2 style, what they've done is they have redone the song with the tools that would have been available to them at the time if they had made the game on Model 1. So uh, that song is already a good one on the 32x, but it's amazing the way they've done it for Model 1. Which is also um, a critical point that brings us to something I've been thinking about as I've been playing virtual racing a lot lately, which is that I think, I'm, I mean, I, I think, I don't think virtual racing is anyone's favorite Sega racer. I think it's pretty fair to say, but I think what actually hurts it more than we realize is the fact that this game does not have a real soundtrack which every time i come back to it i'm amazed like it's just it's so weird it's like such a foreign point to me in like the history of game design we have this game that plays little jingles when you cross a checkpoint and that's pretty much it it's certainly different to what we're used to from sega arcade racers and it almost feels as if they're in there just to say like there is some form of soundtrack because some of them have like a really nice beat and you're like, oh, I quite like this. And then by the time you finish saying that, it, it's stopped <laughs> because the jingles are so short. And even the the general sound design of the game, it has this like almost <laughs> vaporwave-like feel <laughs> where it's like all these kind of low quality like game over sounds and stuff. But I, I love it to bits just purely because I think I, I said this when we had a discussion kind of off the podcast. It feels like the... The kind of formative stages of what Sega racers would have in terms of atmosphere later down the line. But it oh, absolutely! It's, it's got the whole this game came out. It, it's got the whole blue, uh, blue skies thing going. <laughs> yeah, pretty strong. Uh, that's sort of the genesis of this. And um, to, to crib another terrible phrase from that song trailer, but uh, yeah, it's the, the music is so interesting because yeah, there are moments where I just want to hear this continue. Like when you cross the the start finish line uh, on on your last lap, when you're starting the last lap, there's a great tune that plays. And ever since the first time I heard it, when the Sega Saturn, when I got the Sega Saturn version of the game, which I I got like this wasn't when it was out. This was when I was much older. I was a teenager. Um, every like I've heard some of these songs for a long time, and I just. I was so amazed when I when I played the Sega Saturn one for the first time. And I'm like, wait, that's it? Like it just ends? Like <laughs> you're not used to that in games today, you no. know? It's it's like a totally foreign experience. Um, but you know, I commend obviously M2 for for making that replay track and uh, 
Virtual racing is a very weird game, but it's a it's a very important one too. One one of the things I love is like um, when you finish first and you get that that little um, like the podium oh, cutscene, and when the guy throws his hat, it's just like complete silence basically, and the hat just kind of flies in this unnatural motion and lands on the ground, and it just has this like certain style to it that for some reason I, I really enjoy, but I'm not sure why. <laughs> it's just so like it's just so Sega. I love. I, there's nothing more I love than the the like quintessential Sega from this era doing something incredibly technologically advanced that just ages horribly. Like in <laughs> back at the time, seeing these like drivers celebrate and throw the hat, and then you and then you hear the the clip of audio when the race ends and game home. It's like. It's all terrible today, but at the time it was like, oh my god, that's a 3D polygon model of someone. And like, I mean, their eyes look horrific. Oh, it's awful. They're they're rhombuses sitting in faces. And like, you should go, definitely, if you haven't, you're listening to this, go watch a Digital Foundry video because um, they explain just the fact that this game was coded and designed uh in a completely unnatural freakish way that would not happen anymore with a 3d polygonal game and that's why you have all of these graphical glitches because there are a lot of them like and 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 m2 left them all in the game because they're m2 and they're sticklers for accuracy but um that's that's why the game is messy i mean i only watching that video did i realize how i could uh watch the replay and get to see vert mcpolygon did, did you see this? I didn't actually know. No, so so Vert McPolygon is the commentator of virtual racing that only appears if you watch a replay of a Grand Prix race, so it has to be the 20-lap one. Right. Um, and he appears in a little box in the corner of the screen, and it's just it's just this guy, like, waving his arms, not saying anything, but there's, like, subtitles that come up underneath him, and it's, oh, like, man. these horribly, like, mistranslated phrases, like... You know, so exciting race to watch or something like that. And it, it just has like, he only has like five coded fra- can phrases in there, but it's, it's just, it's just so silly. And so, so early 90s Sega. So have you done a 20 laps race yourself yet, Adam? Because I haven't actually tried it myself. And I'm wondering if like the, the computer kind of scales up in difficulty to match that. Have you, have you gave it a go? Yeah, I have a couple times. Uh, I have not found any difference in the difficulty, actually. Um, I'm able to get to the front of the pack as quickly as I would in any other mode. The uh, the right. challenge I've found is that you have tire wear. That's introduced. And the round, I would say around like six or seven laps in is when is the cutoff point, is the break point for the tires for me, where I start to feel like I'm really, really losing grip. And, I mean, you'll lose, like, you'll lose two seconds a lap if you have worn tires. The problem is, though, that um, the beginner track, uh, Big Forest and Acropolis, those two tracks have pit lanes, but Bay Bridge does not have a pit lane. So yeah, you, it doesn't. <laughs> you, can't, you can't fix your tires in Bay Bridge. But then also, like, I, I'm not sure if it's, like, faster, honestly, to pit. Because you lose so much time in the pits in that game, and there's such a gap between you and the leader. I need to give that a go myself and see how it is. I've just been too focused on that leaderboard hunting, on the, the kind of regular tracks, because obviously that's where the game shines the most. But um, it's good that 
M2 have added some additional extras because I think this is something um, in the Sega Ages series it's expected that they, they kind of add some nice features, like new features and stuff but Virtua Racing kind of, it doesn't really have much does it in terms of new content or anything and maybe that brings you on to the point about the 32X version as well. Yeah, so I never really enjoyed, as I was saying before, any of the previous race versions of this game that I've played. Um, the the Mega Drive Genesis one is a technical achievement, yeah. but no one should ever play that game. Like, I'm just gonna come out there and say, and like, it kind of hurts me a little bit when I read like, or when when I watch the Digital Foundry video or I read people's like comments and opinions and like people are actually recommending the Mega Drive one above the Saturn one, that game is unplayable. Like, yeah, they <laughs> they couldn't do anything better at the time. I'm fully aware of this, but that doesn't make it good. That doesn't make it something you could play. Like I I recently reviewed the Mega SG, the uh, the new analog system, and Jeez. I have a <laughs> I have a copy of Virtual Racing the Del- uh, sorry not Deluxe uh, Virtual Racing on the Mega Drive with the SVP chip. Yeah, and uh, I played it, and oh my god, it just gives you a headache. And like you, you can't. <laughs> it's like ten frames a second. You can't see anything. The way they achieve, like, because the color depth is so minimal that like the way they achieve lighter colors is through like checkerboard patterns, which. Yeah. Re- but they're like huge checkerboard patterns. They're like really big, so it just really hurts your eyes. I, I can play that game. Um, the thirty-two X one is better. And the 32X one plays well enough, but it's on the 32X. Like, is anyone really going to go play that game? Like, I had 32X once I bought at, like, a flea market. Not flea market. Like, a, a retro game store or whatever uh, in a flea market. And it, like, it was broken from the moment I got it. Like, I don't, I don't want to have to screw with the 32X at all if I don't have to. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a decent port. Like, it it's probably the best game on the 32x and like they add a lot of content there are a lot of extra tracks and a lot of maybe not a lot but a couple extra cars uh and the music's better obviously because it's got that replay song and a couple others yeah my my initial experience was with the saturn version which a lot of people don't like but i think is okay you know i think it's fine it's it's not like it wasn't even developed by Sega. It was like it's it's like this weird thing where it says Time Warner Interactive's Virtual Racing on the, oh, on the yeah, cover. Oh yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, it's very strange. Uh, I don't really know why Sega didn't just port Virtual Racing to the Saturn. Like everyone probably expected them to. I mean, I'm sure they were working on Daytona and Sega Rally, but uh, so maybe they just like decide to give it to Time Warner, or whatever, because they nobody cared about Virtual Racing in like 1995 or whenever the Saturn was coming out, but. Yeah, it's it's a weird it's a weird port. The loading times are horrendous. Um, the handling's a little bit off, but like at least it runs at thirty frames per second. Like that's my feeling. It's like the handling's not right, but like this game works at the speed that my brain does. Yeah. So I can kind of <laughs> I can kind of deal with that. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if you've played any of the previous ones or uh, PS2 ones. All right, that one's a little weird too. But. The PS2 ones, the one I've played. That that was the the version I picked up and. I, this is a maybe a bit of a slightly controversial point, but I feel as if graphically the PS2 one in some elements seems better than the Switch one for me, particularly in the, the kind of colour saturation area. I feel as if um, the Switch version of this game it seems to have a very kind of light hue to every colour, 
and it doesn't make it look bad at all, it just makes it look a bit different, and I'm wondering if that was intentional by M2 or not, because i seen Digital Foundry also brought up that point. Yeah, I I have this weird, well it's not really much of a theory, it's just something I've noticed a lot over the years. Anytime I've seen Daytona emulated on like a PC, it looks really washed out. But when I see home console versions of the game, it doesn't look washed out at all. And, like, I think when Sega poured it, the color depth was, like, correct. I'm getting a similar feeling of virtual racing. I, I, I wonder if, like, this game played on, like, a CRT mod or something like that, or whatever primitive mod they had at the time just looked a certain way, and, like, but it, it never was really designed to look that like, or Or maybe, like, the game was made with the limitations of CRT in mind, so they made it lighter or something like that, so it would display dark, because if they had made it darker, like the way we think of the game when they built it that way, it would look too dark on the CRT, but when you play it on the That's LCD true. screen, you get exactly what the designers were making at that time, without the, you know, basically the what they built in so that the game wouldn't look too dark on, on an old monitor. So, I mean, that's, that's the way I imagine it, because I don't think M2 would have made any sort of change unless they absolutely had to and like the saturn one looks a lot darker for example and the the ps2 one does as well but the ps2 one takes so many liberties with the graphics it, it adds so much yeah in it does that um you really forget how much it adds in like i completely forgot about like the reflections and the shadows and how the wheels are, are a little bit more rounded and all of that stuff it's 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 an impressive Port, but like a weird one because all of the changes that they make don't really necessarily gel with like the whole concept of virtual racing like you have these like realistic reflections and backgrounds but you're still racing in a flat like you know flat shaded <laughs> yeah. polygon world it's very strange i think um this game has also put me in the mood for a lot more racers in this style as well like when you, when you think about that PS2 version, that kind of reminds me of maybe something that could be done nowadays, like a, a kind of, not a homage quite, but just a, a racing game style like Virtua Racing, down to that flat polygon texture look because I I love it, man. I think it, it's really held up well because it looks so crisp on the Switch as well. Oh, it ages tremendously well. Um, that's the beauty of the whole flat shaded thing is that. A lot of what gets old 3D games down are the textures, and once you get rid of those textures, like, what you have is essentially timeless, you know? I mean, it's kind of like what people say about Jet Set Radio, like, the, just anything that's, like, flat or cell-shaded, where you're just working with colors, just, like, blocks of colors, I feel like, uh, upscales very, very well. Yeah, without a doubt, virtually seems a testament to that. Yeah. So we should probably move on to the next topic. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're a half hour in. I don't know if you had any final thoughts uh, you wanted to get through, but that basically sums it up for me. You know, another amazing job pouring this. Uh, and if you want to go pick it up, we highly recommend it. It's all in English, um, so you don't have to worry about yeah. that. Because as I was buying the game, I was very concerned. I was like, will I even be able to read anything on the screen? Like. <laughs> Not so much the arcade game, but like all the Sega Ages menus, because they add a lot to the game, and I want to understand what's going on. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Get the Japanese one was an no-brainer for me once I realised it was in English, and um, yeah, just in terms of final thoughts, it's another great port by M2. I'm so happy to have a Sega arcade racing game on the Switch. It's just it's whetted my appetite for what could come next. 
And if this is the type of stuff we want to see from the Ages collection, it comes down to that age-old cliche. You've got to buy it. So, um, hopefully, if Virtua Racing does well, that'll open the door to some of the, the Model 2 stuff and what comes next for the, the kind of Sega Arcade cabinet. And also, the, i I seen an article, it was like the, the kind of the person that was the head of porting this game, I believe, was saying that if this port sells well enough, they would even consider some sort of like semi sequel to Virtua Racing. Now it's probably just a tongue in cheek comment, but it's an interesting one nonetheless because I don't think it would actually take that much resources to create like a a sequel just like in the exact same vein as the original. I mean, I really wonder how it would go making new content for this old game essentially, and then having it work in the Switch environment. Yeah. Um I I have to say like that'd be cool, but I would be I would be pretty upset if they decided to make virtual racing 2 instead of porting sega rally or or daytona i would i would be pretty <laughs> oh, upset God. with that because yeah. i don't really think you can i mean frankly like daytona is is sega's you know highest grossing arcade game one of the highest grossing arcade games in the history of the world like that game belongs on sega ages um you know sega rally like i we love sega rally but i just feel like daytona is so obvious as like a next step if they want to do a polygonal game i i think what'll happen is i'll probably do virtua fighter one because that was a model one game and then mm, after that yeah maybe we'll see them uh move on to to model two i mean if they pour the virtual fire to this which would make a lot of people happy um so we're yeah. i'm excited that m2 has moved on to polygons because um i mean that's you know that's what we grew up with and that's where my nostalgia lies as much as i enjoyed sega ages outrun it's a little bit before my time so yeah my my enjoyment of that game is kind of limited for that reason i think um as i said earlier daytona has got to be pretty much a certainty they've already ported it multiple times that there isn't much kind of um outside of gameplay kinks to work out in terms of licensing and that type of thing um sega rally I, I, it's one of these ones I believe it when I see it because I just, even though it is only a Lancia and a Toyota license, I've just got a, a bad feeling about it reappearing. Cause they it were has able been quite some time. They were able to re-release that game in two thousand six. So yeah, yeah, I think it's possible. I think, and everyone's like, oh, Toyota doesn't license their cars anymore. Uh, I think Toyota will make an exception for this one. This isn't like. First of all, it's a race car because like a lot of the issue is that they they've been fine with bringing their race cars to games. It's their road cars that they have a hard time with. That's and true. As a, yeah. a great article went up on the GT Planet not too long ago, it's possible they have an exclusivity agreement with Polyphony Digital. Um, it's also possible they like working with Polyphony Digital because they have forever and they're a Japanese company and they understand each other well. And yeah. honestly, I think what what uh, Polyphony's trying to do with Gran Turismo is more of like a marketing thing than any of the air companies because they have the whole or any of the air developers rather because they have the whole brand central thing and and they very much try and and give you the brand experience in the game so anyway all i'm trying to say is i think there are reasons why it could work out um but i guess we'll just have to wait and see yeah i hope you're right and to be slightly controversial i wouldn't even mind an outrun type approach where they replace the licensed cars with slightly tweaked genetics. Uh, I can't. No, that that would lose it for me because, like, part uh, of Sega Rally, part of Sega Rally is those licenses. Yeah. Like, I would probably would not care about real cars growing up. I I wouldn't have become like, um, 
a petrol head or a car enthusiast or whatever the hell you want to call it if i didn't see those two logos as the game started and oh definitely yeah just if, if that's what it takes to get a sega rally port if it ever came down to that whatever it takes get it done yeah. <laughs> that, that, that'd be my opinion i mean like you said i think the likelihood is if they were going to do a port they would get those licenses um that's pretty much a, a certainty but if, if for some weird freak reason that's what it came down to uh, to have sega rally 95 on the switch I, I would take that hit purely because i mean it's sega rally 95 like, I just it's been so long since we've seen a port of that in 2006 like you're saying it's a long time ago now as long as they're as long as they're pouring that one and not Sega Rally Revo I'm okay with that friend wow <laughs> I feel attacked the shade <laughs> So, uh, we're going to move on now to unreleased racing games. Of course, of course, we end up spending 40 minutes on virtual racing. I, I was really hoping we could keep it to half, half that. But um, So, one of the earlier episodes, uh, earliest episodes we've done of Time Extent was uh, about un- unreleased racing games. And this is a continuation of that discussion. Because there were a couple games I want to talk about that we didn't really get through. Um, and... That episode is, it goes through a lot. We're going to cover less today. I think I explained this last time we had this discussion, but like, there's not a lot of information on a lot of these games, and you kind of hit a wall. Like, um, the first one that we'll talk about is uh, the 2003 Fast and the Furious game that Genki was working on. Genki being the the developer that makes um, Tokyo Extreme Racer, as I'm sure a lot of people know. And, uh, I tried to find information on this game. Like, it was previewed by IGN. Like, so, there, like, there's actual stories about it, and there's videos about it, but, like, it's very hard to figure out what went wrong, which is kind of amazing to me because, like, it's Fast and the Furious, you know? It's one of the biggest film fr- film franchises in the world. I mean, I guess maybe in the early 2000s it wasn't quite as big as it is now, but, like, yeah, it's, like, a universal product, you know? Um, universal Studios and... Whatever. It's it's just weird how little information exists. But but this particular game, I don't know if you've seen anything up, Brendan. It looks very strange because it, at least in all the videos I can find, it just looks extremely unfinished. <laughs> yeah, that, that I was gonna say. I've seen the kind of the videos about it, and um, man, they're not even hiding the fact that Tokyo Extreme Racer was probably the back end of this because like the the menus and stuff where it's showing the cars off, it just looks as if it's ripped directly from zero. I guess what they tried to do is just make a real open world game with the Tokyo Extreme Racer engine, which yeah. Tokyo Extreme Racer is like, um, it's almost like we were talking about with relation to Ridge Racer 5, 
in that it's this kind of fake open world where like yeah you can drive anywhere but it's also like in this in this like bigger environment but it's actually very linear and limited and i mean in tokyo extreme racer like i guess you can choose the route you want to go down but you can't turn around and you can't change direction on the highway because there's always a divider in between you and the other side um so it's it's like a very like rudimentary way of doing an open world and if you look at these videos like they're trying like they're developing their own traffic system like they're trying to make essentially like midnight club and it's like i yeah i don't know if genki has resources to make midnight club in the early 2000s (laughs) it doesn't seem like something that they would really be good at i mean reading the ign's preview um they were basically trying to just make la in this game and um in the video i think you see them driving around uh yeah. What was it? Was it the Dodge Charger or was it the Supra? One yeah, or the so other. the Dodge Charger and the Supra, you kind of get yeah. glimpses of both. Yeah, and there's just pop-up all over the place, and it's it doesn't look good, but which is a shame because like you would think, who else do you want making a Fast and the Furious game but the developer of Tokyo Extreme oh, Racer? I mean, exactly. like, I mean, the studio, I'm sure that Genki doesn't, they probably wouldn't do the story justice, but, but the gameplay would probably be great. You know? Yeah, definitely. I think um, one of the biggest problems, especially in this time period for street racing games, was like at daytime, it just looks like a barren wasteland. And yeah. that isn't a fault on the developers, that's just a time period because it's one of the reasons why EA were very smart for the first Underground games. Like, explicitly making it nighttime only. Hell, even Genki did it themselves with Tokyo Extreme Racer. Um, and the, the, a lot of the promotional materials are shown off at daytime, which makes it look even worse. <laughs> the, the, like yeah, the you can get away with a lot at night. Yeah. Like, I, I remember the first time I played TXR2 on the Dreamcast, I was like, this is the most beautiful game I've ever seen. And now I look back on it, and I was, you know, I was like, why is this so good? Now I look back on it, it's like, oh, it's very simple. Um, it's basically 50% of the rendering power has gone into your car. Yeah. And there's you are in a a box with three sides and very you know essentially it's a road and two very high walls and you can't see the ground that's it that's that's it like that's that's how they can get away with it and it works very well for txr um but yeah you have a sense maybe they did not anticipate the challenges of doing this uh off the bat and decide to take on this project because they you know genki was always kind of a smaller studio they always made very quirky kind of weird games I wouldn't say they really pushed the envelope in terms of, you know, innovation and game design no. or technical achievement, but this stuff was always very fun to play. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, that's true. One of the good examples of that is um, Genki brought out, like, a, a Tokyo Stream Racer game, basically, on PSP. It wasn't called as such. Oh, Street Supremacy, but, um, yeah. That's it, yeah, Street Supremacy. And, like, I remember distinctly playing it and really enjoying it because I enjoyed the Tokyo Stream Racer series. But if you were to check out reviews and stuff, like you're talking like five point fives out of ten and stuff, because yeah. like you're saying, they weren't exactly known for innovation. They just had this particular kind of gameplay loop that really did like appeal to a lot of people, but not everyone. And maybe this was a, a chance to jump outside of that because it does even from the, the kind of sketchy footage that was released, there's definitely ambition there and the fact it was linked to the Fast and the Furious at the time would have been interesting for a lot of people, purely because there, there was still that kind of c- coolness element to street racing. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's a bit of a shame that it never got released. 
I mean, can you imagine, though? The, the, the one reason I'm okay with this game not seeing the live day is can you imagine, like, the FMV sequences that would play in between races and just how awful <laughs> they would be? Because, like, I, I'm sorry, but I don't... I think Genki is very... They stay in their lane. They make racing games. Like, that's all they do. They make. I don't think they know how to make a thing with the story. I mean, Grant, like... And that's not just, like, a... I'm not trying to be up on them, like fucking yeah. EA, EA doesn't know how to do it nobody knows how to do it it's a very hard thing to do so like I have to imagine that with like probably the heavy uh Japanese translation issues to Japanese to English that would arise like it probably would not have been a great overall experience but nevertheless I would have liked to see them see what an open world Genki game looked like I guess the, the funny thing about that those Japanese translation errors you're talking about is even in the preview trailer <laughs> There's <laughs> some of that. It's like clips from Fast and Furious that just says, "Do you want it? How much do you want it?" And stuff. <laughs> and it's like, what the hell is going on here? Oh my god! <laughs> what is, what is um, this racing game trying to suggest to me? <laughs> Jesus! Oh, it's amazing. Um, and it's funny you mentioned like FMV and stuff because in a kind of forum that was discussing the game, I noticed that somebody commented saying that. In 2004, there was a Fast and Furious arcade racing game made by yes. Raw Thrills. Oh, God. And, um, Raw Thrills. We, yeah, we know what to expect from those guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe it's good that they got the license, because I think those games are very successful. So, I mean, that's fine. Raw Thrills is, like, the continuation of, like, like Cruising USA era Midway. It's not... Re- like, I think some of those people still work at the company, and it's, it's a brand of arcade racing that never got on with me so uh i was gonna say raw thrills are like the 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 junkiest of junk food when it comes to arcade racing games there's absolutely no um what's the word intricacy (laughs) there's no there's no nuance i mean look i kind of feel i kind of feel like an asshole and i feel like the way that the the world works in 10 years there's gonna be well i mean there's not enough people in the genre who give a crap to, to have opinions like this, but we're all going to look back and be like, oh, we really underappreciated Raw Thrills. Like, no. you know, there was actually, like, a subtlety <laughs> to what they were doing, and, like, we got Don't it all that. wrong. It's like how, like, terrible movies, like, The Room ends up being, like, yeah. analyzed at, like, you know, a scholarly film level. Like, I feel like that's what we're going to do for Raw Thrills. It's the racing version of, like, um, mobile games. Not good mobile games. It's just that kind of I mean, some of the, some of the fucking cameras don't even have a brake button, a ah, brake pedal. Sorry. <laughs> like, yeah, that's It's just an accelerator and a wheel, and oh man, it just like it's one of those types of arcade machines where you don't even feel as if you're actually impacting anything. Like it just feels as if it's on rails the whole time, and yeah, I think that was um, as arcade enthusiasts, I think we'd agree that that's maybe where things started to go a bit crap when the the kind of racing games were reduced to that level of basicness but i mean that's a discussion for another time <laughs> like you said maybe raw thrills are actually underappreciated and it'll take us a decade to realize it yeah i feel like we need to do an episode it's like the death of arcade racing maybe oh, that'll that be like fantastic. the maybe that'll be like the end like the last episode of time extent we ever do to symbolize no. our own death <laughs> <laughs> that um, is so apt <laughs> yeah so I think it just about covers it for Fast and Furious. Uh, we'll never know what, what that would have been, but as, as we won't with any of these games. Um, next up is a game that we, we touched on the last episode. Uh, if you listen to our chat with Paul Ryszczynski, 
uh, we were talking about this game called Urban Smash, which was uh, developed in between, not developed, but like they were working on it sort of in between Pacific Rift and Motorstorm Apocalypse. And that was confirmed on, on the show we had. I think that was the theory going into it. And um, talking to him, he, he said, you know, he, he couldn't reveal a lot of details about the game, probably because I'm sure with Sony and everything, there's only so much you can say that you're allowed to say. Um, but fortunately, we do have some information on it. I mean, he he confirmed that it was not a Motorstorm title. Because I, yeah. I looked at the videos, and if you've never heard of Urban Smash or anything, it's like there are a couple of videos out there, pre-rendered footage of, of this game that looks, it looks to me like a combination of like Midtown Madness, if you ever played that. Um, and Motorstorm. So like you're driving through urban environments, you're, 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 barreling through uh you know buildings and plate grass windows there's all different kinds of vehicles you could be in a bus you could be in a uh, atv i'm sure there, there probably would have been a mini cooper to do that like Ita- italian job style of uh, of gameplay and um yeah it just it looks almost like a mission-based arcade racer in the city is kind of the way i took it now we'll we don't know if that's really what it was but it seems like that would have been the divergence from Motorstorm to me anyway, instead of like just another Motorstorm in the city, which is basically what we got when Apocalypse came out. Yeah, exactly. And I think the the interesting thing about that discussion with Paul was hearing how Evolution did seem eager to kind of spread their wings past Motorsport, Motorstorm, despite how kind of prolific it was, because... Off the bat, Urban Smash sounds like it'd be perfect for a spin-off from the series as well. The small tech demo, it seemed as if they had almost like Road Rash type ideas as well in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely Road Rashy. That was that was the other part to it. Because it was very, it was combat oriented, but not in the way that you would, not purely cars just like hitting our cars, but also looked like there could have been like some on, on bike combat or something. And yeah, it looked interesting. It would have been opening for them to do something outside of Motorstorm uh, that I honestly would have liked to see because although I did enjoy Motorstorm, I I feel like, unfortunately, with it, with everything that happened to Apocalypse, I mean, it, you, you never would have known it going in that all the you know the tragedy was going to unfold and it was going to affect the, the success of that game in a very unexpected way. But I don't know. I think for me, Motorstorm, I had the most fun with Pacific Rift, and I was ready to move on from the series at that point. Yeah. So Urban Smash will have been a, a good way to do that. And uh, yeah, I, I for a while I thought it was just like what I knew about this game. I thought it was just kind of the um, the genesis of what would become Apocalypse. And I'm sure some of those ideas did translate, but I, I never knew it was supposed to be its own thing. Um, it's very very interesting. And and Paul also talked about another uh unreleased game of evolution studios uh that they were working on that was basically the the b pitch uh for a ps4 title where the a pitch was drive club yeah and i'm really yeah. curious about that and he couldn't he couldn't talk about that at all <sighs> <I know>. um, <laughs> now granted i'm very happy we got drive club so i think i actually don't miss whatever game that is because i love drive club so much but uh but yeah it's it's interesting how many different ways history could have gone you know yeah, definitely, and I said to Paul on the podcast as well, like, in terms of um, drive clubs on-road versus motorstorms off-road, I, I personally am more of a fan of Evolution's on-road stuff, 
so I'm happy we ended up getting Drive Club as well, but it's always interesting when you hear about these concurrent projects because it means at one point it, it wasn't even sure which game would see the light of day. And um, yeah, I mean, we, we do these episodes on unreleased racers and ideally, in, a, in an ideal world, we'd be able to actually have episodes dedicated to say one of these potential games and have somebody talking about it because there's probably so many interesting stories behind the scenes that they aren't allowed to talk about on the regular. Yeah, definitely, and um, I think between the conversation that we had about Urban Smash, if you want to hear more about it, go listen to Paul talk about it in our previous episode. Um, yeah, exactly. There's really not much more we could say outside of videos, but I want to move on to the next game because that it, this is so interesting. That the, This game we're about to talk about, uh, Racer X for the Xbox, which was just a working title, um, is exactly what you described, where the story of this is unreal because... Um, so Racer X was this game that was developed by Boss Game Studios, which you may know from Top Gear Rally, World Driver Championship, and they made the snowboarding game on the N64 called Twisted Edge, which is amazing and totally overshadowed by 1080, but still very good. Um, and they shut down in 2002, and this was the last game they were working on before they did get shut down. And this game is basically like some... It almost looks like a combination of PGR and Forza because you have a lot of supercars from the day racing on public roads, but then there's also some racetracks, and then you also have some like prototypes and GT cars. So like it's almost like even further mixing those two. Like if you think PGR K PGR is like more arcade and Forza is more simulation, you know PGR is more street racing, Forza is more real racing. This is like a combination of the two. And the reason why this is really interesting is because um, it's, I think, I, I unfortunately, I couldn't, uh, I did not link the source in my, uh, in my notes doc, but uh, I found quotes from, or comments from someone on the development team that pretty much confirmed that people who would end up working on Forza Motorsport 1 worked on this game. Uh, and it was basically done. Um they were they were very close to finishing this, and what essentially had happened was uh, Boss, you know, talked to Microsoft and was like, you know, we think we can make you a racing game for your platform, and they did so, and then Microsoft kind of went ahead without Boss being fully aware of what was going on and made PGR, and PGR essentially got all of the Xbox's launch attention because like this was going to be a launch game. And uh, the studio lost funding, and then the game just, like, totally collapsed, even though it was mostly done, which is, like, really heartbreaking. Because, like, there's... The videos and stuff of this game show something that's pretty finished, and, and the development team has actually talked at length about the stuff they were achieving. So, yeah, it's it's, to it's totally crazy to me that, like, this was a... This could have been, like, a different Microsoft Racing franchise that just never materialized. All the videos and information about this game makes it sound like it is pretty much like you're talking pushing the Xbox as far as it could go in terms of capabilities at the time it was being worked on. Yeah, th this was like going to be a launch title and, um, you know, according to an interview with IGN, uh, which I was reading, it, it was they were really trying to make it the Xbox's most advanced racer at the time that was very, you know, either a launch title or very early in the system's lifespan. Uh was running at 60 frames, 25,000 polygons per car. Uh, they had 
all kinds of different effects as far as like leaves falling on the track and smoke and like I mean, watching it now, it's hard to remember what was technically advanced for the Xbox at that time <laughs> yeah, because everything yeah. kind of blends together. And PGR obviously was so was such a pretty game, um, but yeah, I, I just yeah, I just think it's amazing that this game was pretty much developed and and the bones of it. Not not the, I'm, I don't think anything got carried on to Forza Motorsport, but like the impetus behind it would eventually get carried on to Forza. Um, I think is is very interesting, and also like some of the cars in the game are are, are strange because like i was talking about the fact that they're like prototypes and so, so you got the audi r8r the cadillac north star lmp which is something that like is such a a 2000s idea of like a cadillac prototype i mean we have one now in imsa in the u.s but like this was at the time when they were making stuff to take on uh to take on audi at Le Mans, which is like crazy yeah. <laughs> uh, and the bentley exp speed 8 which would end up winning Le Mans. so um a couple of uh, very unique prototypes of the day, and uh, apparently it ran on the World Driver Championship engine, which I, I you haven't really played many N64 games, so I don't know if you touched that one, but that was a pretty good Gran Turismo approximation for the N64. Maybe one to try out um, using <laughs> um, totally legit methods. <laughs> uh, it's funny you mentioned Nintendo as well, because I see in the kind of notes written here that boss actually ported it to gamecube as well yeah i think it was just like who who can we sell this to like who who can we <laughs> who can we get to go on with this project and salvage this um and again i mean that's the last episode we had on unreleased racing games it went back to nintendo every single time it was just like all of these racing games that could have been on a nintendo platform and never were and uh <sighs> this is another case so maybe where i mean they never <laughs> like got it's not like Nintendo ever approved it, you know. I don't think there was any agreement. I think they were just trying to find a different place they could sell this game and push it. And it would have been great in the GameCube. The GameCube really could have used a game like this early on. Uh, instead, all it got was all the Lisa and R Racing Evolution, which were good. But by the time that those came out, it was it was too late. And you know, they weren't they weren't amazing. They were just okay. So yeah, exactly. Um, it's just annoying because Nintendo have never actually. Like, throughout all these potential opportunities, they never decided to have a semi-realistic racing game, like, as part of their portfolio, and, I mean, I always just think, like, a fit like Auto Modelista would be perfect, like, just as a recurring franchise, it doesn't have to be incredibly realistic, but it can feature, like, real cars and real tracks, but, obviously, it's an area Nintendo feel as if they don't actually need to, to tread on, and I, th- I think now the time has passed where that would even be a consideration because outside of Gran Turismo and Forza it's very difficult for any racing game to find a a worthwhile chunk of sales. Yeah, and they do just fine without it. I mean, Mario Kart is like the best-selling racing franchise ever, probably. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I think think they do okay on their own, but yeah, this game really surprised me, just like knowing how it played into the larger Xbox story and and um, I think maybe Microsoft was looking for a team to to fill that racing game uh, gap in the system's launch uh, launch repertoire, and maybe they had chosen Boss, and then what ended up happening was they were able to buy Bazaar, uh, and then that kind of turned everything around uh, once they had that team because the similarities between PGR and MSR are so so sim- so close. You know those games 
are uh, so alike that I I wonder if PGR was just very like a very quick reworking by Bizarre to get that game out the door under Microsoft's direction, obviously to get that game out the door so that the Xbox had a racing game and and once it did, you know that that was pretty much the death knell for Racer X. Well, it's one of these things where you wonder if there is a playable build out there somewhere. There, if yeah, there, if it was there might be. Ninety percent done. You've got to think. There, there is a playable build of um of this next game, which is also Ooh, very interesting. Go for it. Let's uh, hear. Because it's <laughs> it's it's playable on a console that uh, doesn't exist. Uh, so <laughs> nice. You can, I guess, get an emulator and play it. Um, a what? Th- this is strange. Uh, so it's called it's called IMSA Racing. Or it's called World Championship Racing. I don't know which title was the prevailing one, but I think many people know that IMSA Racing. And yeah, so this was developed by 3DO, and it was intended for the M2. Now, do you know anything about the M2? Because it's like I should have done more research on it, but only talking about now do I realize like I know nothing about this console. Yeah. It was basically supposed to be the sequel or the successor to 3DO. Yeah, I don't have a clue about it, man. Yeah, so uh, essentially the 3DO was this failed system that the, the in the 32-bit days that nobody really liked, and then um, I guess for some reason they found the way to they they found the logical reason to potentially make a successor to that platform, which given the failure of the 3DO, I don't know why they would do that, but they did. <laughs> but the thing is, like, I guess 3DO can push it on their own, so what they decided... Because the, the whole idea with 3DO was that it was a technology designed by the 3DO company that was going to be licensed out to various uh, tech companies. So you had, I think, Panasonic made one, and LG, which was Gold Star at the time, made one. So you had two different 3DOs that were running the same hardware, but they were made by two different manufacturers. It's almost like Android phones today would probably be a good way to think about it, I, I would yeah, imagine. Yeah. Um, so, but what they did in this case was they, you know, the first 3DO failed, so I guess they, they worked out a deal with Panasonic where Panasonic would, would um, manufacture the thing. So it was going to be the Panasonic M2. Um, known as the Matsushita M2 because Panasonic is uh, they're they're owned by a company called Matsushita in Japan. But anyway, we're getting farther and farther away from racing games. The important thing is that this system never came out, uh, <laughs> but it was uh, planned that it was going to launch with a racing game, and the racing game was going to be based on American sports car racing. That's what IMSA is, um, and it was first showed at E3 in '95. And it was in development for two years before a console was canceled in mid-97. And and the way it was canceled, too, like, I was reading a bunch of these stories about, like, what happened kind of at, at the end of the M2. Like, they were showing up to E3 towards the end there in, like, 96 or 97. They're just like, we don't even know if this thing's going to be a game console. We might, like, make it, like, they might use this technology for, like, ATMs or, like, medical imaging or something. Like, that. like nobody knew because... Yeah. I, I guess they just didn't really want to be in the video games business, but they made this console anyway, and they had this team <laughs> developing this game. And um, the interesting thing about it is the game was pretty much completed, uh, and it's the only M2 game that was completed, and builds of it exist. So I I think the M2 shares some sort of hardware with an arcade board that Konami used, and maybe a couple of our companies. So maybe if there's an emulator for that arcade board... This might be playable in MAME or something. I don't know. I don't. I don't know how you play it, but um, it is 
a pretty realistic for the time looking uh, IMSA based racing game, which is interesting because like those are very, very rare uh, American focused sports car racing games. I feel like that there aren't many of them. So I, I appreciate that somebody tried to do this. Oh yeah, definitely. I think nowadays as well, you're less likely to even see that happen because Forza seems to have a good relationship with some of the American sports car series. It's usually just DLC for that series. Um, but back then, you're right, I didn't see many racing games based on this series at all. And I'm just having a, a quick glance at the Wikipedia page for the game and it does actually sound pretty interesting to be honest and it was good somebody tried to give it a go at the very least despite the fact it was on the the m2 i'd be interested to see one of those in real life now yeah i mean you had a couple like there was um andretti racing was a pretty famous game it was on uh saturn it was on playstation i think it got ported to 16-bit consoles as well and that was noble because it had IndyCar racing, but I, it wasn't like, I don't think it was a full IndyCar license. It was just like you maybe had uh, you had the car that whatever Andretti child was driving it that I know nothing about IndyCar. Um, when, we do our, <laughs> when we do our episode about the uh, cart flag the flag, then we'll, we'll have an expert on the show, but I know nothing about that series. Um, but yeah, it was like a combination of uh, IndyCar and um, I guess car at the time and NASCAR. You had some stock cars. I don't know if there's a sports car in that game, but it was like kind of like the whole scope of American uh, American sports car racing, and uh, there was that. There was actually, funnily enough, Paul mentioned it on the previous episode. Uh, he worked on as a QA tester for Codemasters IndyCar game. Yep. Uh, in the early 2000s, which I've never played. So there weren't a lot of American car racing games. Um, and this one's interesting because, like, as I as I put down the notes, uh, you know, they, they were touting, they were very proud of the graphics engine they had at the time. The physics were based on hard driving, and they were proud of that too, which is kind of strange because, I mean, hard driving was, like, from the virtual racing days. Like, hard driving's really <laughs> old. So I, I don't know what, how they were able to kind of uh, yeah take that very, you know, sort of rudimentary early 3D racing game and make it into this. But, like, because... I don't know, like, the, the footage of this looks pretty impressive for the time. Like, it's not quite Dreamcast level, but it looks nicer in the PlayStation 1, so... Yeah, it looks fine. I think that's the way I'd describe it. It looks kind of what you would expect in terms of the, the lighting and stuff. It looks very much of that era, but that that's not indicative of the game's quality. It could be fantastic. Um, <laughs> uh, I've said I've got a scenario for you. So, say this game comes out, but it's on the Dreamcast somehow. And there's a chance it could be as good as Le Mans 24 Hour. But if you get it on the Dreamcast and it's that good, Le Mans 24 Hour doesn't see the light of day. <laughs> what would you prefer? Definitely Le Mans 24. I mean, like, it's... Yeah, that that game is the... Uh, I mean, it came out, so we know what it was, and it was perfect. You know, I, I don't think that this would have been at that level. All right, sure, no worries. I was saying, um, if you could have this game or Le Mans 24 Hour, but not both, on the Dreamcast... What would you choose, assuming the gameplay quality is the same in both titles? Like, would you prefer an American sports car series? or Personally, I care more about the European stuff, but because of where I am and the way I'm, I was exposed to racing, like I do kind of have a soft spot for this because um, it's not 
it's not an area that really gets um a lot of love i feel like as far as like racing in the u.s it's 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 very much like nascar or open wheel racing in the car cart back in the day like sports car racing never really i feel like found the footing here so um the idea of this is really cool but oh well <laughs> <laughs> yes that's the perfect way to sum it up and it is the case for all of these um unreleased racing games unfortunately we can theorize about how good they could have been but in terms of actual in terms of actual content out there it's pretty light on the ground and it's it's a bit of a shame but at the same time we had so many good racing games during these eras we're talking about that there was inevitably going to be some casualties along the way yeah um and i mean i just really in this in the case of this last game i just want to figure out a way to like maybe play it because like the idea of emulating a console that doesn't exist is kind of cool to me it does yeah very exciting I'm, i mean it's different than emulating just sega arcade boards which is pretty much what i do now i, I recently <laughs> built yeah. a pc and the first thing i did was make sure i could run scud race on it so um not that As it's it hard to be. do <laughs> <laughs> not, not that it's hard to do but just because i was like this needs to be the first game i play on this and uh yeah it was it was it was a tearful moment um just the minds of Sega Rally Evo and Shocks. <laughs> oh man, you don't need you don't need a computer to play Sega Rally Revo. Just like go get your 360 or your PS3 or something. Yeah, but it's in 30 frames per second on the console, and I've never played it in 60. So oh boy, all right. That that game will be part of our upcoming series. I won't spill the details yet, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I do know. I do know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Huh? Look, look, it was a good game. I just don't I just wish I could love it as much as you do. Maybe though, like you were saying before, and this isn't I'm not throwing some shade here, but you said you learned how to play virtual racing. What if you learned to play Sega mm. Rally Evo? Yeah, you might I mean you might be right about that. Although like if I didn't learn how to play the game, I'm really impressed with the fact that I beat it because it gets really hard at the end. Oh and, like, it does, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, you probably end, know. <laughs> yeah, well, well getting through that game was like a that was a real achievement for me. Um, and unlocking that unholy, weird, made-up hatchback. The, yeah. Oh, uh, the, had um, some weird name. Uh, the, the Andorra, the Andorra Racer. Racer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, but see, surely if you played through the whole game, then you must have enjoyed it. But that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> alright so that brings us to the end of uh, this episode of Time Extent thanks so much for listening um, we've had a lot of awesome reactions and responses to our previous uh, last couple episodes with yep. uh, Paul and with Jordan and we thank you so much for uh, letting us know what you think about the show um, you know, giving us feedback uh, commenting we always appreciate that uh, you can do it on the SoundCloud, but we'll probably see it quicker. We'll definitely see it quicker on Twitter. So yeah. uh, head to our Twitter or go to GT Planet because uh, we post those episodes on GT Planet and go participate in the forums. And uh, yeah, always love to see those comments. So so thanks so much. Yeah, definitely. And also the Twitter engagement recently has been fantastic. Um, if you are somehow listening to this podcast and haven't seen our Twitter feed, we, we generally post some really obscure ads and commercials for old racing games um which is going down a treat and there's also some other stuff on there so if you're interested in that type of content it's definitely something to check out yeah the twitter is time underscore extend um and you'll notice it by all of the wipeout gran turismo and ridge racer ads that are <laughs> plastered on the uh, photos yeah. section uh, of the page but yeah so 
definitely go check that out and and uh yeah thanks for listening again and we'll see you we'll see you soon see you next time guys cheers